Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And now. You are listening live. The Smoking Musket Podcast. Bye, Godders. Welcome back to the Smoking Musket Podcast. This is Bart. I'd like to thank you for downloading. Thank you for rating us on iTunes. Thank you for subscribing to us on iTunes and on YouTube. Uh, Give us a follow on Twitter at Smoking Musket. Like us on Facebook. Find us at The Smoking Musket. And visit our site, www.smokingmusket.com. Again, this is the Smoking Musket Podcast. We are in week nine of the college football season. We have a a, a very intriguing matchup coming up on Saturday, October 29th at noon in Stillwater, Oklahoma. We have a 6-0 WVU team taking on a 4-2 Oklahoma State team. Uh, We are now 6-0 after defeating the TCU Horned Frogs 34-10. So we have... uh, uh, an undefeated WVU team. I am joined here by Mike Miller, site manager for thesmokingmusket.com. Mike, have you talked to your kids about an undefeated West Virginia football team? <laughs> I have, actually. Um, I set them down Sunday and had the talk. And I think the five-year-old gets it. She understands the superstitions, and she already knows not to talk about an undefeated West Virginia. Um, and actually, this summer, she met she met the new Mountaineer this summer. Um, he's actually from here in Greenbrier County. And after we walked away, she looked at me and told me that when she grew up, she wanted to be the Mountaineer. And I just uh, I, I shook my head apparently. Um, and then a couple weeks ago, <laughs> she was walking around the house just randomly. I, I really don't know where who told her this, but um, she was just walking around the house chanting, Eat Poop Pit. So I think she gets it. I think she understands. Uh, uh, I, I think it's yeah. just natural to her. Um <laughs> The seven-month-old, on the other hand, she she's tough to read. Uh, Saturday, she was in front of the TV. She's pretty into the game, it looked like. So uh, I think they both get it. I'm hoping it turns out all right. Well, uh, it's important to understand. <laughs> Don't talk about an undefeated WVU team. So we're done talking about that. Uh, we we have a lot to cover. Um, we, we've gone through half a season now. We're 6-0. and um, Halfway through, we've got six games ahead of us. So we're going to break down... Uh, the headlines that are surrounding WVU sports uh, over the weekend and, and over the past week. We're going to go through the Big 12 re- Week 8 recap, and then we'll review that TCU win that we had. Uh, and Part 2, I'm going to talk with Robert Wetzel. He's the former site manager of Cowboys Ride for Free, and now he still contributes. A, a massive Oklahoma State fan, great historian of that school. And in Part 3, Mike and I are going to look ahead at the Oklahoma State game and break down the Big 12 Week 9. So, Mike, uh, let's get started with some headlines. 
So the WVU women's soccer team continued their undefeated conference season with a 3-0 win at TCU on Friday night and then on Sunday defeated Texas 1-0. They, with their win on Friday against TCU, captured their fifth straight, we've been in the conference five years, Big 12 regular season title. We will close out the regular season on Friday night at 7 p.m. against Oklahoma State. So if you are in Morgantown or the surrounding area, please make your way up to Dick Gillespie Soccer Stadium. Watch the Mountaineer ladies take on Oklahoma State at 7 p.m. Uh, men's soccer captured an absolutely huge upset of number two, 22 Akron over the weekend as well. Uh, Akron coming off, uh, they had a, a national champion, a national title of three, four years ago now, and uh, the class of the MAC conference. So men's soccer coming with a huge win over the weekend. Also, another good thing to write home about for WVU sports: WVU rifle outshot Ohio State. 4,721 to 4,670, the high score. Posting a season high in the air rifle, the Mountaineers are now 4-0 on the season and 2-0 in the Great American Rifle Conference. WVU Volleyball fell in five sets to Kansas State over the weekend, um, and WVU Swimming did not have a great showing in their quad meet at Virginia Tech. Both in the men and the women placed fourth out of four. Um, and then a, a, a housekeeping note, if you have not looked into this, you can help out our wonderful Mountaineer Marching Band by donating to the Pride Travel Fund. Uh, they are taking a trip to play in New York City for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. So um, while you're getting ready to eat your turkey, you can sit down and watch the Mountaineer Marching Band and the Thanksgiving Day Parade. I want to give a shout out to my personal alumni chapter here in Atlanta. The WVU Peach State chapter donated $500 uh, to that travel fund over the weekend from our activities watching the game on Saturday. So that covers the headlines for WVU Sports. Uh, Mike, why don't you give us a Big 12 Week 8 recap? In the Big 12 Conference, when we say one true champion, we mean it. All right, start things out. Uh, Oklahoma State beat Kansas 44-20. to um, in Lawrence, and that score is about what I expected. The one big takeaway I got from the game is the Kansas defense was able to sack Mason Rudolph five times on Saturday, and that makes me feel a little bit better heading into this Saturday. Um, if Kansas can, Kansas can put that kind of pressure on Rudolph, I have to believe Tony Gibson is going to have his dogs blitzing all day. So uh, I think we. I would uh, hope so. Yeah, I think we'll get some pressure on Rudolph this uh, Saturday. Um, following that. Uh, Kansas State beat Texas 24-21, to and I think this was, what, the fourth time, fourth straight time uh, in Manhattan that Kansas State beat Texas. So that's that's got to be the final nail in Charlie Strong's coffin, I think. Um, he's 14-18 and 18 in Austin, and he's lost three of the last four games, and that's just not going to cut it. So the real question is, how long does Texas wait to back the truckload of money up to Tom Herman's door? Um, there's reports I, uh, yeah. coming out. Yeah. <laughs> there's reports coming out today that Texas met with Charlie Strong um, today, actually, and that the move to hire Tom Herman is pretty much a done deal. But we usually we know how that usually goes. Well, Tom Herman's the best coach available right now. I mean, of, of all the coaches you can go grab, Tom Herman's the best one available, um, in my opinion. I don't think there are any other coaches that are going to be fired who would make sense for Texas, and there's not a whole lot of other assistants out there right now that, that makes sense as well. So I think Tom Herman's got to be the guy they go after. 
And to, to wrap things up, uh, we had a shootout in Lubbock again. Uh, the Oklahoma Sooners beat the Texas Tech Red Raiders 66-59. to And this was an all-time classic LOL Big 12 defense game. And I started yeah. pulling for Texas Tech about halfway through. Uh, Oklahoma still looks really beatable, and I'm starting to really look forward to November 19th, especially with the possibility of ESPN College Game Day coming back to Morgantown. Um, so we'll, we'll have to just happening. wait and see about that. And Bob Stoops said today they're really – this is the the one big thing from this one. Bob Stoops said there wasn't really any kind of problem with Oklahoma's defense blowing assignments or making mistakes. And that speaks yeah. volumes to me about just how good West Virginia's defense was to be able to contain Texas Tech to 17 points. Like if, if he's saying he said that. Yeah, if he's saying his defense did everything the way they were supposed to and they still got 59 points hung on them. That that must mean that we're pretty dang good. Yeah. Well, especially because, <laughs> you know, Oklahoma's supposed to have a, a decent defense and they give up, you know, 59 points to a team. I mean, I'm with you. That that speaks volumes to the performance that our boys put down there in, in Lubbock. I'm not going to say anything else about the season, but I think from that one game to look at it, man, that looked good. Uh, so we're, we're 6-0. <laughs> But we have two, two teams in the conference that are technically ahead of us in the standings. Um, sitting atop the conference is Oklahoma because they are 4-0 in conference play, 5-2 and overall. Uh, you can say West Virginia and Baylor are tied for second at 3-0. Both teams are 3-0 in the conference, both teams 6-0 overall. Oklahoma State coming in at the number four spot, 3-1 and over uh, in the conference, 5-2 and overall. Kansas State at 2-2 two two in the conference, 4-3 and overall. TCU, 2-2. Two Texas one and three, Texas Tech one and three, Iowa State and Kansas round up the bottom at zero and four each, and with a one and six overall record. So, the Big Twelve right now kind of to me has a clear dividing line of who's in contention of the conference championship and who is just hoping to make a bowl game. Um, I think that line starts about Kansas State at two and two. And everyone below that is just trying to hope that they can make a bowl game where I think even Oklahoma State all the way up through West Virginia, Baylor, and Oklahoma got a chance to win the conference. So it, it, it'll be an interesting back half of the season for sure. It, it will, and it's not going to be an easy one. Um, no. Because even, even Kansas and Iowa State, you can't overlook them. Because any given They've day, they can improved. trip you up. They, they have. They They've really improved. improved. And, and I, I think with if – both of them keep the coaches they have now. Within the next couple of years, they're going to be back in bowl games. I mean, I'm not going to say they're going to well, win the conference. Well, and you would like because... to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you're the Big Twelve, and, and we now have to root for the Big Twelve, you want Iowa State and Kansas to be decent because honestly, you look at the the SEC uh, where where you know, that's where I live, so that's a, a frame of reference I usually use. Even in the East. Um, you know, you, you look at South Carolina and maybe even Kentucky right now, but they're second in the big sec, in the SEC East somehow. You look at South Carolina, maybe Vanderbilt, I don't know, but as kind of doormat. So you get a win there, and it doesn't do anything for your program. But then you look at the SEC West, and you're looking at your your worst team in the SEC West is either Mississippi State or um, Arkansas. And, and those are still valuable wins. So, um you know, you want Iowa State and Kansas to be competitive, 
Um, you know, one and six isn't going to cut it, but I don't think that'll happen for much longer. Right. Yeah. I think they, they've got good coaches there that are, they could turn the program around if they just give them. Well, a, I think a turnaround could be, as you said, making a bowl game. I mean, right. really, I think Iowa state is closer. I think they have better talent right there right now, but, uh, you can't, you've got to win conference games occasionally. <laughs> So hopefully, hopefully they don't get at least you know. Hopefully we can uh, take care of business. Uh, we get Kansas at home. We don't know what time or channel that game will be on yet. They've exercised the uh, six-day window option for that game, but we do know that it'll be on the ESPN Family Networks, and it will be at either three thirty or seven o'clock. So we'll keep you posted as we know that. Um, but let's look back a little bit and let's take a moment to debrief. The Mountaineers win over TCU. Uh, the 6-0 West Virginia Mountaineers welcomed the TCU Horned Frogs to Milan Puskar Stadium on Saturday, October 22nd in front of a massive home crowd and a national TV audience who took advantage of the opportunity and made another massive statement dominating TCU 34-10. We jumped out to a 14-0 lead after forcing couple turnovers, including recovering a fumble on the opening kickoff. Uh, and from there, we basically just used a stifling defense um, to build a 21-10 lead going into the half and, and never really looked back. Um, so if you're keeping score, we won 34-10, and at halftime it was 21-10, meaning we shut the TCU Horned Frogs out in the second half. That doesn't happen. That just doesn't happen. Um, we completely controlled the third quarter, possessing the ball for all but like a minute 14 or the three seconds that um, the TCU kick returner also had the ball and he then fumbled uh, fumbled the kickoff away. Mike Molina closed out the scoring with a field goal and uh, the defense made Kenny Hill look like the Kenny Hill we think he is and that's not very good. And they just were able to keep the TCU offense off the scoreboard for the entire second half. And, and really just a com another complete performance turned in by the Mountaineers. Uh, Mike, that game was intense. What do you make of it? It was intense, and it felt so much closer than it was until about midway through the fourth quarter. And that might have just been me. Um, but I never really felt that relaxed with the, the score because I know how TCU has turned a game around real quick in the past uh, again, the defense is just, they're playing way, I mean, just outstanding. It, it's incredible to watch. Well, I think they're, I don't want to say they're playing above their capabilities, but I definitely will say they're playing above what we expected. And so I go back to the fact that that, I think that's just Tony Gibson's defense and, and his philosophy and his schemes working very well. But I also think it's a group of 11 guys out there, whomever happens to be out there, um, that have played really well. I, I know watching, uh, I had to watch on, on TV, um, and the commentators, uh, who I thought did a great job, Pash and, and McElroy, commented on the fact that after we lost Elijah Battle to a, a by-the-book targeting penalty, but a very soft, don't know why that's targeting penalty, um, you know, uh, we, we still had... Um, Antonio Crawford come in and fill in quite nicely. So I think even our, our second and string and maybe even third string guys are, are performing at that level too. So 
that to me is much more impressive than anything our offense has done this year. Right. And I think coming into the season, Gibby was talking about how the, the defensive backs, the corners, they were all, there was four or five guys that could start. And we, we've seen that because uh, let's see, Fleming was out for the, the first half of this game. So battle stepped up. He did really well. He was leading the team in tackles before he got ejected. Um, then after right. he went out, Crawford <laughs> stepped back. I mean, it, it was f- seamless. It was a seamless transition between in that position. You didn't really – I never felt like, oh, great, this guy's coming in and they're going to just pick him apart. But I, I'm so confident and in their abilities and what they're doing. They went after Crawford, and he and, and Crawford was able to still perform and break up passes and, and, and keep that intact. So – it's crazy to see these guys from top to bottom be able to perform at a high level. Um, our offense, to me, Skylar Howard's numbers looked better than they actually were. Um, but again, his efficiency was good and, and really wasn't asked to do a whole lot. We ran a total of 74 plays. Um, but what's funny is at one point in the first half, we had more points than plays. I think we had run, um, I think we'd run 18 plays and had 21 points. That was an awesome <laughs> – when you're looking at efficiency, that's pretty good. We had 74 plays, uh, 396 total yards, um, and, and nine what they count as scoring opportunities. So, you know, 34 points on nine scoring opportunities. Pretty good turnover right there. Howard was 16 for 23 on the day for 231 yards, um, had four touchdowns. No interceptions, and uh, according to ESPN, a QBR of 80.2. Then he added uh, 16 carries for five yards. Not not a great day running. He had five sacks, um, but he was effective when he was not when he was pulling the ball down or when he was doing the read option. He he definitely was effective running the ball. Um, I think again, I think he didn't have his best day. I didn't like his two intentional grounding penalties. I think those were. Um, kind of rushed and hectic decisions that he made. But overall, he was, I mean, he was efficient and and definitely got bailed out a couple times by some great receivers catching the ball. But at the same time, he put the ball in a position for them to catch it. So I, I was ha- I was pleased with how, Scott, how Skyler Howard played. I don't know how you felt about it, but I liked it. I was. Um, I think some of the problem was the offensive line – I don't know if they were just having a, an off day, but well, TCU just the line is pretty decent. <laughs> yeah, pretty they 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 kept pressure on Skyler. I mean, he got sacked yeah. I think five times. We've seen the the yeah. offensive line play better. Um, I really think that was part of what Skyler's problem was. It was it really wasn't even a problem because he didn't throw any interceptions. He did get sacked five times, but like you said, he was still sixteen of twenty three passing. I'm not going to complain. Um, no. I know. I mean, 70% passing rate or efficiency rating, that's pretty good. Right. 70%. <laughs> um, and only 231 yards. We didn't have that many yards on offense. We didn't need to. Shell had a uh, – for me, Rochelle Shell was the offensive player of the game. He had 24 carries for 117 yards. Um, he just, He kept the chains moving when we needed it. He got the tough yards when we needed them. And he was, he was a not just a, an emotional or a, a, a leader from by his position on the field. He was a leader in how he played today, 
or uh, on Saturday. I, I uh, very much enjoyed watching Shell run the ball effectively. And then Kennedy McCoy, uh, seven carries for 38 yards. Didn't get as much action. Um, the, to me, the concerning part here, um, Crawford maybe still not ready to play. He, he had one carry, uh, ran the ball, and then we didn't see him again. Um, uh, clearly not recovered from whatever injury it was that he actually sustained against Texas Tech. But overall, I think our, our running attack was pretty good on the day. I don't know. Um, now, again, the numbers didn't look astronomical, but when you look at the average, Shell had a 4.9 yards per play average. McCoy had a 5.4 yards per play average. That's half a first down every time you touch the ball. That's yeah, good and numbers. I, I just saw – let me see if I can find that stat again. Uh, okay, the uh, the average yards gain on first down. We gained 7.3 yards on average on first down. Yeah. That <laughs> I'm not going to complain about that because that, that puts you in a great situation. You're averaging 7.3 yards and you've got – two to three more shots to get those other three yards. Right. And I think the offense was efficient. It did what it needed to do. At one point at the the start of the game, I think I, I tweeted it out on the, the Musket account, West Virginia had nine touches and had uh, two touchdowns, I think. Um, yeah. And TCU had also had nine touches, and they had two turnovers. Well – when you look at the efficiency numbers, it I mean, it really does point out how good our offense was. You look at the score, you look at the actual yardage, it's not that great. But um, at, you mentioned that first down efficiency on uh, our success rate and the S&P uh, statistics that Bill C. at Football Study Hall puts out. Um, our rushing success rate, meaning we got 50% of the required yardage on first down, 70% on second down, and 100% on third down. So basically, did you get what you kind of needed to, to set yourself up for first down? Um, 50% of the time when we ran the ball, we got what we needed to on the down. 44% of the time, we got what we needed to when we passed the ball. Now on the other side, TCU, running the ball, 64% success rate rushing the ball. Passing... 35%. And then to go further, when we were in a long down and distance, meaning you know they were in an obvious passing situation, their success rate went down to 18%. That is a good defensive performance, and that really shows how efficient our offense was because we were able to keep the chains moving, it seemed like, time and time again. Oh, for sure. And we, like you said, in the third quarter, we just chewed the clock up. <laughs> I mean, we. Oh, that, I mean, that's how we're going to beat a lot of these Big 12 teams. And, and I think Dana said it best. Can't score when you don't have the ball. Well, TCU had the ball for a minute and 14 seconds. We had the ball for almost 14 minutes and one quarter. You play, just to make sure we're all aware of this, we play 15 minutes a quarter. <laughs> we had the ball for three minute, or 13 minutes and 46 seconds. In one quarter, and that's pretty good. <laughs> that to me, and the best part for me, we got ten points in that quarter. So we didn't just have the ball and we come up with nothing. I mean, the first drive was a little frustrating. We only come away with a field goal, but 
we got 10 points off of two drives that took one the first one took seven and a half minutes the second one took almost five and a half minutes that is how we're going to beat teams like Oklahoma State like Baylor um, even even like Texas and Kansas teams who might not be the greatest offensively or, or who have the potential to be good offensively if you if you're sitting on the ball that long you're not giving them any opportunity to get in a rhythm offensively on the receiving end, not a, not great numbers to really talk about because we didn't throw the we only threw the ball you know twenty three times. But um, Dakeel Shorts four for seventy four and a touchdown. Um, Shelton Gibson two for twenty nine and a touchdown. Javon Durant three for forty, no touchdowns, but a a fantastic circus catch. Somehow he made it between about four people, uh, and then Ke uh, Kevin White. He had a Kevin White catch. He looked like his brother on that touchdown catch. He was Karan White, four for forty-two for a touchdown, and that that touchdown catch was what we need him to be—just a big a big body that can go up and get the ball. What do you make of our? I mean, we—I don't say we complain about our wide receivers because I don't think that's what it was. But we've kind of wondered where our wide receivers were going to show up all season. Did they show up this game? I think they did. I think even one of the, the commentators made the point to say that this wide receiver core is possibly one of the best in the country. And that's something we've been saying coming into this season. I, we, we've said that the, this wide receiver core is prob might be one of the best we've seen at West Virginia in a, a good while. Um, and I'd definitely say they're one of the best in the country at this point. It, it's really nice to have four or five guys that you can really depend on to go catch the ball. Um, I mean, Shelton Gibson, he had, you know, another pretty quiet day. But the other guys, they stepped up. So it, yeah, I think in years past, if, if somebody would have shut down our top receiver, we might have struggled. But I think we've got such a, a solid wide receiver core. It doesn't matter who you shut down. If you double-team somebody, somebody else is going to get open. They're going to get the, the passes coming to them. We've got what Shorts, Gibson, Durant, White. Do we have somebody else I'm missing here? Uh, like Devontae Mathis. Yeah, he's Devontae he's caught a Mathis few balls. I mean, he he's pretty solid. He's a he's a good fifth receiver. <laughs> and 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 uh, Shell's not the best of this, but you've got Shell McCoy and Crawford who come in out of the backfield can catch a ball. So you've right. got when you're uh, and and then you've got you know like Elijah Wellman who when he's in the game is still a. a a threat to catch a ball. You've got five to, you know, four on any given play, you've got four to six players on the field. That math adds up. Yeah. Four to six players on the field can catch a ball. Um, that, that's tough for an opposing defense to, to plan against because you've got, you only have so many players who can cover guys. You can't drop, you know, you might have five defensive backs. You might, you can't drop seven into coverage. I mean, you can, but it's not going to work out well for you because you've got, that means you've got linebackers covering faster wide receivers. And as soon as Dana sees that, and as soon as Schuyler sees that, just a nice little underneath ball to Duran or Shorts, and, you know, they can then get 10, 15 yards after it. Right. So I think that is where our offense is most efficient 
Um, I think our running game has been great. But going forward, I'm look and, and even looking at the games we've won, our offense has been able to move the chain so much because we have guys who can catch the ball, and that's what. That was the biggest concern coming into the season offensively was will our receivers be able to catch the ball? Because last year we saw them drop a lot of cat, a lot of passes that they should have caught, especially in that TCU game last year. This game, they didn't drop too many. They certainly made a couple catches that they probably shouldn't have made. And that, th- this was the game we've been wanting to see from our wide receiving crew. Oh, for sure. And even at the the beginning of this season, I, I talked about it last week. Whatever happened to Javon Durant? <laughs> it, it's amazing. Like he he drank some kind of like secret elixir. He had Mike's secret elixir from Space Jam, I guess. Absolutely. Because I don't know where he got that. He and Bugs Bunny had a powwow. <laughs> <laughs> because that it. catch, there's no way he would have made that catch last year or even the beginning of this this season. But that catch he made was no. outstanding. Well, and, and that was the missing ingredient for Durant. He is fast as lightning. He can make people miss. He wasn't catching the ball, and he wasn't running the best routes. That seems to have been put behind him. He, he Something clicked for this young man, and he is he is now turning into the playmaker that I think WVU needs. Um uh, and, and I'm, I'm happy to see it because I, I definitely criticized him in the beginning of the year because of the expectations we, we had for him. But he, he's come a long way from where he was even last year, and I'm, I'm proud to see that, that's for sure. I, the, the one kind of underlying storyline we kind of – I think we touched on it, but we need to just kind of clearly state this. In the first half, Elijah Battle was targeted for uh, – or excuse me, was ejected for a targeting penalty. I think it was bad luck. I, I understand why the penalty was thrown at the beginning with. I still don't think after a review you can say that he should have been ejected, but he was ejected. Uh, he was filling in for Maurice Fleming, who you know, was ejected um, in the fir- second half of the TCU game. But that's two weeks in a row we've had targeting penalties, and I'm kind of concerned that maybe Big 12 referees and the, all of their incompetence are actually able to see this and maybe key on it. But uh, – Luckily, Battle will not miss any of next game. So that's the that's the silver lining in that. Right, and that shot of him looking out on to, at the game from the oh, weight room, just, it, it really said so much about him because he could have just went off to the locker room, but he was still there to support the team. I mean, you I can tell how much. Dressed. Right, you can tell <laughs> how much these off. guys buy in. Yeah, and, and and that's kind of that's a credit to Gibby uh, on defense, and then Dana as a whole just getting them to, to buy into the team concept, and I love seeing that. Um, I think for me the biggest what I was most impressed with though was just our our wide receivers played outside of their what we've seen them play, and we need that going forward because if we can get them to be making catches like that. It just allows Skylar Howard to not have to be perfect, and I think he's done very well this season, very efficient, very, for the most part, pretty accurate. But, it, you know, we need our, our guys to be able to say, okay, I can throw a ball up to Karan White, or I can throw a ball into coverage for Javon Duran or Dakeel Shorts, and they're going to come away with it. You know, it gives Skylar a little bit more confidence, a little bit more wiggle room. I mean, I don't want him trying some of those throws all the time, but in a game – Against a, uh, a front four, you know, front seven even who can get after you pretty well, 
it was good to see our wide receivers bail a quarterback out a couple times because he needed it. I mean, he needed help. That this was a very good defensive team, and and they made some great plays uh, out there in space, and that that was amazing to see. Um, I, my favorite thing about this game, though, was the third quarter, just entirely, <laughs> because I. Yes, TCU probably could have had more time of possession had we not got that kickoff fumble to end the third quarter, but we did. So we can still talk about the fact that they only had the ball for a minute and 14 seconds in the third quarter. We had two drives that were longer than five minutes. We had that, that I mean, they took, up until the third quarter, I mean, the, the first two quarters, we didn't have the ball, but maybe 20 plays. And then we go into that third quarter, and we had a drive of like 15, a drive of 12, uh, and, and we got 10 points off of both of them. Um, that was that's as beautiful as when you see your lover standing in the kitchen the next morning making coffee for both of you. It's just <laughs> raw beauty. It's not script. It's just pretty. You're like, man, I appreciate this so much. Uh, and for me, that's how we're going to beat teams in the Big 12. It, it, he said in his presser after the game, it's it's hard to score. It's hard to do a lot of things when you don't have the ball. And if we have the ball, we don't have to score all the time. I'm okay with that for seven and a half minutes. If we have the ball for seven and a half minutes and come away for three points, I'd like seven, but I'm okay with that. We had the ball for seven and a half minutes. That's an entire half of a quarter, basically. That's great. Yeah, and with with that comment, I, I feel like he was throwing a little bit of shade. Um, and I, I just have to say, shade throwing Dana is my favorite Dana. Oh, he's uh, great. Well, other than Dapper Dana um, during the Mountaineer Man tri- trip, <laughs> that, that Dana <laughs> that has picture a very is very weird crowd of like middle aged women who thinks he's the hottest man ever. Oh man, listen. Like- yes. Um, okay. <laughs> I want to I want to get off my uh, on a little tangent here. I went to the the spring game, um, which was here in White Sulphur Springs at the Greenbrier. Yeah. And I took my camera with me, um, try, just trying to get some good pictures for the website, and the camera just was trash, so I didn't really get anything good. But, you know, I was hanging around at, at the before the game, and the players were walking by, and I talked to some of them. But Dana come over, um, and he was just flocked by middle-aged women. And I actually yeah. knew one of them. She... <laughs> I'd walked away, um, and I guess he walked over to the fence, and she came running. She knew I had my camera. She came running and grabbed me and pulled me over there, and I was like, what is going on? She was like, you got to get a picture with me and Dana. you got to get a picture. And I was like, well, did you ask him? I just don't want to be like, hey, let's take a picture with you and this random lady. <laughs> but he, he was real cool about it. it just... He is very cool about it. <laughs> but – that picture of him in the man trip, that's that's going to get blown up into a life-size cutout oh, if absolutely. College Game Day does come back absolutely. to Morgantown. I, I know Kurt uh, already said he's got tickets to the OU game now, so either he'll have it. If he doesn't have it, I'll have it. Somebody's going to have that blown up in a life-size cutout at game day, and I might just walk around with it in the blue lot and let p- people take pictures with it because that picture is so great, and I'm so it's- thankful that that – lady sent me that picture on Facebook and told me to use it because it's <laughs> it's got so much attention from Andy Staples and other national writers it's just so it's so Dana I mean <laughs> yeah 
I, I think he's great. And, and a lot of people have said that Dane is a great fit at WVU. And I, I don't know if Mountaineer fans truly understand it yet. But I think we're coming around to understand how much we appreciate Dana Holgerson and Morgan Tennant. And I don't mean that just because we're 6-0 and everything's ha- you know hunky-dory and we're all ha- fat and happy up here in the hills. But I really do like Dana as a person. I think he does fit in well in Morgantown. I'm glad that he's finally getting a few results to go his way. Um, you know, we're 6-0 and now. We're number 10 in the AP poll. We're number 9 in the coaches poll. Um, you know, we keep moving up. I, I don't – I hope it's not getting too close to the sun. I hope we're not at that point where – I've been a Mountaineer fan for a long time. <laughs> you have too. And we've seen this happen, but I, I, I do feel like there is a little bit difference about what Dana is able to do with these guys and, and just the players as a whole. And I appreciate that. I think that they just look like a different team than I've seen in the past, and they definitely look a lot different than any other team in the Big 12. And I think that's why we've been successful so far, going um, 3-0 and so far in the conference. Right. I, I think you kind of touched on it there. There's something about this team that just seems special. And I, I don't think it's something we've seen since Pat White, Steve Slayton, and Owen Schmidt. I mean, it's that yeah. level, I think. There's, there's just and something it, about yeah. them. It, it, it's, I guess it's the intangibles. I don't know. Well, and, and I mean, look, we're getting some balls to bounce our way. I mean, that I don't, it's not lucky because I don't believe that there's a whole lot of luck in football, but you do make your own luck. And, and you definitely – take advantage and put yourself in, in positions where if something happens, you're there to capitalize on it. And I think those were exactly the two turnovers we got off the kickoffs. Um, the interception was, I mean, that was Rasul Douglas being, I think he's turned into a great ball hawk. But the two turnovers on the kickoff were, as you mentioned, in special teams, guys staying in their assigned lanes and staying to their assignment on special teams, on kickoff coverage, making good a good sound form tackle and then guys just happen to be there and rally to the ball and those are the little things that make good teams good um and and i'm not saying we're great i'm not going to put that out there not i don't want to talk about an undefeated west virginia team going to a college football we're six and oh right now we've done that because we've taken care of our business when we have the ball and then we've not allowed other teams to take advantage of their opportunities when they've had the ball and that's been the key to success is taking care of our own things and then minimizing what the other teams have to take to take advantage of. And it's gotten us to 6-0. It's gotten us to number 10 ranking in the AP and number 9 in the coaches poll. And I'm very happy with it. I think that's all for part one. We have talked this, this game a lot. Um, great win for the Mountaineers. Now 6-0. Um, that's all for part one. Join me in part two with my interview with Robert Wetzel, uh, former site manager and now contributor for Cowboys Ride for Free. And we'll see you in part two. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Don't let them pick guitars or drive them old trucks. Let them be doctors and lawyers and such. Mamas, don't let your babies Cowboys, they never stay home and they're always in
Hi, Goders. Welcome back to part two of the week nine edition of the Smoking Musket podcast. This is Bart, and joining me on this segment is Robert Wetzel on Twitter at, at Robert W underscore OK State. He is a contributor <laughs> and a former site manager of Cowboys Ride for Free, uh, and as you call yourself, a moonlighter of uh, a, a Baylor troll, yes? Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's uh, It's sort of low-hanging fruit, I, I guess I should say, but somebody's got to do it, So, well, uh, and it's, an, it's just an easy target. <laughs> especially this year. Uh, yeah. Robert's on here to help us preview the Oklahoma State game. Um, obviously, he is a Cowboys fan. And the, the college version of the Cowboys. I won't assume anything else about you. Um, <laughs> and he, he's he got a great perspective on these things. Um, the Mountaineers travel to Stillwater for a noon kickoff, 11 a.m. Central kick in Stillwater. Um, this series has gone back and forth over the past few years. What do you think that really early kickoff will do to both of these teams? Well, I, I think it could be tough for West Virginia. <laughs> Uh, because they haven't had too many this year, have they? Well, the, the only new we've had two um, early starts. Our first one was Missouri, uh, where we won twenty six to eleven, and then our second one was uh, Texas Tech, and I think we did all right in that game too. Yeah, well, there you go. So you <laughs> you're probably going to handle it just fine. OSU, the early kick uh, shouldn't affect them because they've had a bunch of them. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, as the Big 12 in general has had a bunch of them. I, I don't know that the early game is going to affect the team so much, the crowd. Uh, home, oh, yeah. you know, it's homecoming. Um, you know, you, I think you're going to have, uh, you know, maybe a slow turnout to for folks to get there because you're going to have all the folks that stayed up late. You know, students stayed up late with homecoming festivities, and uh, and they might start to empty out. You know, third quarter hits. Homecoming game traditionally everybody bitches about. Because uh, the student section, especially, really starts to empty out at, at halftime. So um, it, I think it'll be interesting to see um, see what happens as far as the, that goes. But I think that's traditionally the the stuff with the homecoming game that starts that early is it's it's tough for the crowd. Uh, well, I mean, I, I noticed last week you were, you know. Um or excuse me, not last week, it was two weeks ago against Iowa State, your crowd seemed a little thin, but that was also an, another early kick. So, um, yeah, I think that's just kind of how it goes when you have an early start because sometimes it takes a while for people to get into the stadium. Well, I think if, if, you know, in my book, if they can't get psyched up for number one homecoming and number two, two undefeated teams playing on national television, Right. I don't understand. I don't understand why they can't get jacked up for that. Well, you're expecting students to be predictable. <laughs> 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 so I think that's the flaw in the thinking there. Yeah, that that's probably flawed uh, logic, but wouldn't be the first time I've had flawed logic. So, <laughs> well, let's get to the most important question I have for you: Which is longer, Mike Gundy's mullet or his conversations with T Boone Pickens? Oh, I think I think the mullet wins that in a landslide. Um, that's just, you know, what do you do when you combine a coach who really, if you gave him his choice, 
wouldn't have to deal. And, and he's done a, a pretty good job. He's loosened up in the last, you know, couple of years. He's loosened up a little bit. But if you gave him the choice, would not deal with the media and would not want to have to deal with any extraneous relationships related to the program other than just dealing with coaching and the kids. Combine that with a billionaire, multimillionaire, whatever the heck he qualifies as, who's, who's 80 in his late 80s. So he's, he's getting to the stage where he's going to have about as good a judgment as some of those students that don't show up on Saturday. Uh, who thinks his money buys him access? Right. Uh, put those two things together, and I think you got to give Mike Holder, the athletic director, the Nobel Peace Prize <laughs> uh, for keeping that because because that 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 whole thing going away quickly because that went away pretty quickly. It did. I was that impressed. little that little uh, that little fuss that went away really quickly. That to me has got Mike Holder, athletic director, written all over it, all over it. All over it. Well, it, but it, yeah, Gun, I think Gundy's mullet wins that easily. <laughs> well, it's it's just a weird. Uh, we don't quite have that situation here, at WBU. We have some nice supporters, and we have some some donors who are able to to really help us out. But they're not as vocal. Um, it's kind of like that the Phil Knight situation at, at, at Oregon, where they really do have a lot of influence over the program. And I, I mean, I don't know if that's healthy or not, but it seemed to have worked. Um, <laughs> obviously, under Gundy's reign, Oklahoma State has had pretty good seasons, and you're off to a five and two start this season. So, I mean, that's not bad, isn't it? Well, no, and and I would I would go this I would go one step uh, farther with this whole you know uh, rich donor having influence. Money definitely has an impact. Absolutely. Facilities have an impact. Okay. But if you just look at the example of Oregon and Oklahoma State, just look at that example right there. If you don't think coaching is the first most important thing in the equation, then you don't know athletics. Because look at what happened at Oregon. Look at what happened. Not Not a destination job. They had a great coach who recruited well. And that wasn't his destination. No matter how much money Phil Knight had, that guy had had ambitions for other things. And the minute he left, that thing started a little bit of a decline. And then, you know, one more chance and in the tank they go. And all the money in the world doesn't fix that. So I think we talk about it in Oklahoma State all the time. Because you get people that, you know, the minute things get a little sideways, you know, Gundy's never going to be the guy to win us the championship and blah, blah, blah. And and I'm sitting there going along with a lot of other Oklahoma State fans that are kind of being realists about this in the same, you know, kind of in the same tone of this is not a destination job unless you're an alum who wants to, that's been your, your dream, your life dream. Right. To coach your alma mater and, and maybe help them win a lot more games than they're used to winning. And be the man, right? You know he's he's the big fish in the small pond. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, so uh, you know the day's coming when OSU's going to have to to look at who's who's next. And I can guarantee you right now, you've got a ton of people who are hoping that Gundy lasts at least ten more years, so that just maybe, just maybe, you've got a you know a Brandon Whedon or a J.W. Walsh. Mm. 
you know, or, or some other alumnus out there who's, you know, who can generate excitement, but they, but they have a commitment to Oklahoma State. Right. Um, I think that's one of the things that, you know, for West Virginia, I think West Virginia is just an incredible fit for Holgerson. I love him. And I think he's just, I, I just, for whatever reason, I think he's just a really incredible fit for this program. But then I look at this and go, well, if he really turns this around and he starts having success, uh, you know, on a, on a level that gets people looking at him, is he the type of guy who's going to stay put? Right. Well, you know, I, and I think that's the interesting. Also, you're the second person, uh, Big 12 person, who's told me that Holgerson's a great fit at WVU. And I think it took a while for our fans to understand that he is a good fit for us. But you're right. I mean, is is West Virginia a destination stop? Is Oklahoma State a destination stop? What destination stops are there in the Big Twelve? I mean, Oklahoma, (laughs) Texas, maybe. You know, I mean. Here's what I would say. Um, I think OU is 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 still capable. Uh, They they fall a little bit. I think OU is still capable of being a destination stop. Um. Texas would like to think that they're a destination stop, but to me, they're no different. In fact, I think they're probably worse than, than OU in that regard, in that they think they're Alabama. Oh, absolutely. You know, and they have, they, it's like they have no idea. They're, they are just a, a roiling pile of dung right now. And, they can't get out of their own way, mostly because everybody over there thinks, you know, that that they're just Alabama. Well, guess what? <laughs> Alabama struggled. Yeah, yeah. You know, Alabama struggled when they didn't have a coach. So you know what? Quit being knuckleheads and go out there and find a good coach, right. and quit quit posting on your bulletin boards and worrying about, you know, oh, so and so will want to come here. No, you you know, it's they're not going to come there just because it's Texas. You know, they're going to come there because they see an environment where they can build a program. That's that's what good coaches are going to want to do, and that's what Charlie Strong wanted to do. But as it turns out, uh, maybe he's, you know, three years down the road and they don't look any different. Yeah, I, I think Charlie Strong's problem is that the talent hasn't produced anything. You know, he's supposed to be this great recruiter, but be able to get guys and be able to recruit Texas well, and it hasn't really turned out the way he thought it would. Uh, I think Texas fans are finally realizing that. Now, obviously, as an Oklahoma State Cowboy, you guys have been in the Big 12 for, you know, since the Big 12 became a thing. Um, what's the animosity like from the other schools toward Texas? Oh, I, I don't think there's any question that, uh, you know, for fan, you just you just go back to the first time that, the Big 12, you know, they, number one, they lost two teams. Right. Uh, okay. They, I guarantee you there is no question. Nebraska left because of Texas. Okay. That's why they left. They left because of Texas. Texas is Texas, the pain in the ass. They were the 800-pound gorilla in the room, or they were at least treated that way. So Nebraska left because of Texas. Right. All right. Missouri then left partially because of Texas, okay? Texas A&M left because of Texas. Oh, absolutely. All right? So you start going down the list, 
All right. Why did Colorado leave? Eh, I don't know if you could really say that was a Texas thing. But why, why in the world would you just give them any quarter? All right. Their, their you know, unwillingness to do what was best for the conference. And that's what, that's what bothers me in this is, you know, to have a school. Let's put it this way. Alabama doesn't have that kind of rain over the SEC. No, and I mean, I, I live in Atlanta, so I'm right in the heart of, of SEC country, and no one school in the SEC has that power. You know, even in the Big right. Ten, you have Ohio State and Michigan who have a lot – they have a lot of draw, but they don't have power the way that it seems that Texas and especially then Oklahoma have over yeah. this conference. And as, as kind of a, the new guy on the block, I think a lot of West Virginia fans are baffled by how – how handcuffed this conference is by two, you know, really it comes down to a group of three or four people. Yeah, no, it's absolutely, that's a great point. And, and the thing being, you know, it's just look at it. It's, it's, it's a, it's a conference that, uh, you know, you're now in a position because of just really a five-year window. Okay. Really a five-year window. Mm-hmm. You're now in a position where, because of your, uh, in you know your intransigent behavior, your unwillingness to do what was best for the greater group, you're now in a position where you can kill the conference. And most people would argue they don't give a crap. Right. But so what if we kill the conference? Because Texas will still be Texas. Well, you're right. Texas still has all this money. Texas is still a big name in Texas. All right. But I think part of what you're seeing, and it goes back to the Charlie Strong recruiting Texas, did Charlie Strong really have ties in Texas for recruiting? Did he have people on his staff with good ties for recruiting? And did Charlie Strong, is, is he doing too much trying to recruit outside of Texas? Because guess what? Outside of Texas, Texas is not that big of a deal. Right. You may have a lot of alumni around the country, but I can tell you right now, outside of the state of Texas, you know, Good luck. Where outside of the state of Alabama, Bama is a big deal. Right. Well, and if you look at their recruiting numbers, they recruit heavily from Florida, Texas, Georgia. You know, a lot of school or a lot of states outside of Alabama. Um, yeah. And, and Texas is battling, you know, every other school in the nation for their talent too. Um, yeah. Now I, I, to continue this expansion talk, I, I was disappointed that the Big Twelve didn't expand. I think. I think. As much as the TV networks want to pitch a stink about it, I think it's not in the best interest of the conference to only have four games on a Saturday like we've had the past three weeks. Yeah. Adding two more teams at least gives you just one more game on ESPN or Fox or whatever to show and highlight your conference. Do you think the Big 12 should have expanded or not? Absolutely. Should have expanded, and I think uh, it's – you know, you could always argue that that there aren't great, you know, options out there for. You know, look, there's not a single Power Five team floating around out no. there. All right, there there are no Power Five teams that you were gonna, you know, poach from other conferences. The last, you know, that last big round of of restructuring, you know, conferences got smart and they started right. dealing with their grants of rights and all that stuff to really tie teams in. So. 
you, they just needed to make it. I personally, I'm just a big fan of regionality myself. Right. Uh, I think part of what makes college football so great is just the regional, you know, I, I, the old, the days, I mean, I grew up in the days of the old big eight. Right. <laughs> and, right. you know, and it was nothing to, to, you know, to go to Norman to a bet game, a bedlam game was nothing to drive up to Lawrence was not a big deal. I mean, we used to, we had a regional rivalry with Arkansas. Yeah. Who at that time was still Southwest Conference. And we used to go to that game probably, you know, every other time it was in Little Rock. They always played it in Little Rock instead of Fayetteville. We used <laughs> yeah. to go to that game, travel and go. I've, I've been to Nebraska. I've been to Lawrence. I've been to Manhattan. You know, I've been to Norman. It's like, uh, you just, it just kind of mind-numbing that we've gotten away from this regionality because I think that's what drives some of the excitement. I know TV affects that to some extent, but I would have really, really loved to, I would have really loved to see Cincinnati. Mm. All right. Yeah. As I, I felt like that kind of, that starts to tie into West Virginia a little bit. Uh, that, um, that was our pick. I mean, honestly, we wanted someone on our side of the Mississippi. Yeah. And, and uh, look, if I had my brothers, I'd have had them poach Pittsburgh. Yeah, that would have been nice. Because that that would have been freaking just immediate, just immediate. You know, that's kind of my thing. I feel like West Virginia is sort of out there, we you know, just lo- location wise. <laughs> we are obviously, obviously. So, yeah. Speaking of location, not anything else. Um, but it, it Cincinnati, I thought would have been a good fit. Um, you know, outside of that, I mean, I think. Okay, Memphis possibly, but but there's, I think their football's too weak. Uh, you know, basketball yeah. would have been a good fit, but I think the football was too weak. Uh, I didn't want them to do a football only thing. I thought that was stupid uh, to even consider it. I don't want BYU. They're they're too out of the way. Um, you know, I don't know what else you come up with. I mean, Houston's decent as far as the football goes. Basketball's eh. But again, it's another Texas school, so you got that. You know, you have that battle going on. So it's like, who else would you wrangle in? Because uh, I would prefer to see them wrangle somebody in who kind of stays within the geographic pattern of what you have now, right. and not you know not blow it out west somewhere. But um, I I think they should have expanded because I'm telling you right now, one of the stupidest decisions in the history of conference, you know, boards of directors or whatever, you know, is let's have a championship game with 10 teams. (laughs) Yeah. And again, I understand that that is a, that's a cash grab. I get it. But we have a conference set up, a conference schedule set up that allows you to come up with a champion. It's not the school's fault or, or the, the playoff committee's fault that you can't figure out a better way to say, hey, in the event of a tie of record, this is how we determine a champion. There's a million ways you can figure that out. You, you, don't, you need to get smart about that. But we have 10 teams, so we all play each other, so we get nine games, and then we're going to somehow play another game. I mean, we're looking at it. I'm going to foreshadow a bit. I mean, what happens if Baylor or West Virginia is undefeated? And yeah. yet one of us... And Oklahoma loses a couple games along the way. And yet that team then goes and wins a conference championship game. Look at last year. I mean, Oklahoma was clearly the best team in the conference. 
what would have happened if they would have had to play a conference championship game? Well, and, and, and look at it this way, too. Let's say you've got West Virginia, because, again, this isn't about – I mean, you're, everybody's playing everybody. Right. Okay? So, number one, you're not going to have two undefeated teams. No. Number one. You're not. Okay? If you have an undefeated team, they're the champion. Okay, done. Done. Okay? At that point. But if you've got – even if you've got an undefeated team, and let's say, let's say West Virginia's undefeated, and let's say Baylor's sitting there with one loss, and they win the tiebreaker to get into the championship game because maybe OU's sitting there with one loss, okay? They get in to the, uh, the championship game, okay? They played in Dallas, Texas, does. I presume. Where, yeah, where, wherever they play it. And you got West Virginia, who went undefeated through the schedule. They play Baylor, who they beat already. And now Baylor turns around and beats them in the championship yeah. game. And then the what, is that, what did you just solve? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, this is, this is the, to me, their, their decision to not expand, coupled with the absolute stupidity of a championship game where everybody's already played everybody, um, I, I think that's kind of, that's, to me, that's the end of the conference. That's, they're, they're just, they're just lollygagging around now, unless some other power five school falls in their lap because they want to, you know, change. There was some, you know, there was some scuttlebutt going around that Nebraska would want to come back, uh, to the big 12. I don't think that would ever happen. Um, but you know, just because of the ego of it, (laughs) you know, the ego is involved in that moment, but yeah. Uh, it's just it. I, I just think they just made a decision that they didn't give a crap, and um, you know, then let's. Because again, I the statement the Iowa State it was the Iowa State AD that, that got a lot of coverage, you know, for his comment, and he made a comment about was it him or maybe it was him or somebody else that said that uh, they didn't want to have, you know, why are we going to go out and get two teams, you know, just have another Kansas and Iowa State? And I'm sitting there going, well, you've already got Kansas and Iowa yep. State kind of ensures that you're not going to have another Kansas and Iowa State. Because <laughs> well, if, be if, if you're out there recruiting football programs that right. can't be. <laughs> I, I, I think it was crazy that, you know, I, 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 yeah, I don't know why Iowa State's athletic director. And by the way, Iowa State is decent at basketball, but they're not world beaters at basketball. It's not like they're, you know, I, if you were to tell me we could get a chance to get Cincinnati or Memphis, I think they're on par with you know Iowa State in terms of what basketball history they have. Yeah, no, and, I would agree with that. Know, sure, with, with a possibly better football program right now, um, I, I agree. I mean, I agree with you. I think that we should have expanded. I think that the conference championship game with ten teams is absolutely. It, it's just going around in a circle with a, it's a dog chasing its tail. It's not really accomplishing anything, but it looks like you're doing something fun. And, yeah, well, that's, that's a polite way of saying it, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, luckily we don't have to worry about it this year. That's something to figure out for next year. Whether we do divisions or whatever ends up happening, we'll see. Um, but, you know, we got a game coming up on on Saturday between our teams. And, um, you know, I, I know that our, our fan base is um, nervous and excited, it seems like, for every game so far. Uh, what's the general feel of the Oklahoma fan, or Oklahoma State fan base down there in Stillwater? Y- you've got, you've got a team that's five and two, probably. No, no, no. We're, we're seven and zero. Oh. Okay. We're seven okay. and zero. Oh. 
should definitely be six and one. Um, you know, but what's the overall <laughs> feel down there? Um, I look they're they're you know, I'll 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 swim around in the waters of reality for the moment. Yes, we're five and two. Um, my Twitter handle, you know, aside from that, uh, we're five and two. The defense uh, is is like infuriating because we have the front front seven that are pretty good. Our front four are are really good. Yeah. Um, but the corners are awful. Uh, well, they're Jekyll and Hyde. They 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 they'll give up big plays. They just give up big plays. That's you guys. I guarantee you are going to hit at least two passes, touchdown passes, or maybe a pass and a run. I'm not sure, but you'll have at least two touchdowns of I would say. 40 plus yards or more. Okay. Um, on the offensive side, uh, I just actually, uh, finished writing a post today, which is a rarity. I I, uh, hardly write anymore except when I contribute to our round tables and uniform prediction posts. Uh, but I wrote a post today because, uh, somebody at the pistols firing who used to be a contributor for us, uh, wrote a post that was very good. He's, he's a great analyst, uh, play analyst, uh, Thomas Fleming, who writes at Pistols Firing Blog now, uh, wrote something about our quarterback, Mason Rudolph, that, you know, his weakness is not his physical ability. His weakness is his indecisiveness. Um, yes, you know, our, our offensive line, yeah, our offensive line's bad, uh, but it's not that bad, and he's mobile. Uh, he's got some mobility. Um, so where does that weakness come from? Does that come from just an, he just has an inability to see the field? Uh, is it, uh, is he just not, you know, getting, catching on to the, to the good progressions? Um, is it, you know, an inability to recognize, you know, at, at the snap that, you know what, my first, I, I know right now my first and second reads are going to be, are going to be sucky. Um, I'm just going to right now, I'm going to know that I'm going to check down. I'm going to look the defense off and check down. Well, my claim, and I've, I've gone down this path many times before, uh, there are a lot of fans that feel like the coaching is a bit conservative. Uh, there's definitely folks that are not happy with the offensive coordinator, although if you look at his statistics, points per game and all that stuff, you know, he's, he's done a pretty good job. Um, but it just feels like the offense uh, sputters. You know, it doesn't feel like it's not as inconsistent. Uh, they'll they'll go three and out just as quick as they'll go down the field and score. It's 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 the probability is probably about the same. Um, so it's you know it's it's so hard to say. Um, is the the feeling is just I think there's just an assumption that every game's going to be difficult to deal with. Every game's going to be nerve wracking, um, and you know, and at some point in the game, the coaches are going to make decisions that you're just going to go, "What?" <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> what was that? I mean, uh, if we, if I had, you know, if I had 20 bucks for every time OSU ran the ball on third and long in the Kansas game, in the Kansas game, I'd have a hundred bucks on me. Okay. Uh, it, it just, it, it really, um, you know, my, my post, I mean, give it away cause I don't give a crap, but, uh, it, my post about the quarterback was that coaching, that the fear of making the mistake, the fear, you know, they talk all the time about not turning the ball over. Right. And I go back to, I go back to the, the best quarterback in the history of the school, Brandon Whedon. And the best year they had, he threw 13 interceptions. That's an interception a game. Yeah. Yeah. That's just walking into a game saying, well, he's going to throw one to the other team this game. But he's going to throw three touchdowns, and he's going to make some throws that you're just going to go, wow, look at that. He stuck that in space, or he put that in a spot in the coverage that his guy could go up and make a play. Yeah. Um, and his, his check down used to be almost immediate. Like, he knew at the line of scrimmage where he was going with the ball. Now, I think a lot of that had to do with obviously Holgerson yeah. was his initial tutor, okay? But Todd Munkin, again, another guy, neither one of them, who had reputations of playing it safe. And to this day, I will, I'm telling you, those two guys and the quarterback, Whedon, gave Gundy ulcers, period. <laughs> gave him ulcers. Yeah. Because when it, was, when, the, when, the, when it came time to find out who was ready to stick their neck out to do something? That all three of those guys were like, "Let's go! I'm ready. Right. I'm, I'm ready. Let's do it. I, if we're going to go down, we're going to go down swinging." And Gundy is, if we're going to go down, we're going to go down because you know the other team made a play and our defense stopped him. Right. He he will not. He has done it time and time again. Um, it's one of the reasons OSU doesn't blow teams out as much anymore. Yeah. Because once they get up, once they get up two, three, four scores, he shuts it down, man. He shuts it down and, and just plays it out. And, and it's almost cost him some games doing that. Um, so that's, I mean, listen, I love Gundy. I don't think OSU, I think OSU will be hard-pressed to, to, in my lifetime at least. I think they'll never have a coach as good as Gundy for the school. Um, but, but that doesn't mean I can't bitch about him. <laughs> well, you, you know, West Virginia, we had a guy here by the name of Don Nealon who coached for 21-some-odd yeah. years. And, and fans did the same thing. But there was no way we were getting another person who could do with the program what he did. And I, I feel like that's kind of Mike Gundy's situation at Oklahoma State. And, you know, I, like I said, I live in Georgia. So here at UGA, they had Mark Richter forever. And yeah. it, it finally caught up to him. But ultimately, the man had 9, 10, 11, 12 win seasons almost every year. And if you're doing that consistently and you're going to good bowl games, your athletic director is going to like you a whole lot. Um. And I think that's what Gundy has working in favor. And he's had some talent. I mean, especially this year, I think I think you've got talent offensively, especially I I don't know why his numbers aren't up more, but I think Justice Hill, your running back, 
looks like he can actually be a pretty good running back here in the Big 12. Oh, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, I'd say he's definitely, barring some crazy, you know, again, the, the H word getting hurt, you know, yeah. that nonsense. Um, that, that kid's a special talent. He's, yeah. he's a special talent. He's definitely someone they have not had there uh, since at least Kendall Hunter. And I, I personally, I mean, I watch plenty of Kendall Hunter, and I, I personally think he's uh, better than Kendall Hunter because he's doing what he's doing behind an offensive line that's right. essentially like running behind Swiss cheese. <laughs> so uh, I just, I, I, this is my big question. You guys, I don't understand. You've got to have a Mad Dana Cam. Huh. Okay? Somebody, <laughs> somewhere. You, I'm telling you, you, sh- you would be able to get that sponsored. Okay? There should be a camera on him for 60 minutes of every football game. Well, you know what's funny? You just, uh, uh, there was the Texas, no, it was, yeah, it was the Texas Tech game. Um, we had just scored our first touchdown of the fourth quarter and the camera cuts to Dana and he is slamming a Red Bull. And after that, we scored two more <laughs> touchdowns. <And laughs> <laughs> I think there we go. Red Bull should sponsor the Dana in-game camera, and like he's going to be drinking enough Red Bull as it is. They're going to get the advertisement from that. I couldn't. I couldn't keep up with the football game, your guys' game, this past <laughs> weekend because I kept stopping the DVR and going back and recording short videos of him <laughs> losing his mind over something, you know. Uh, and my and the favorite one, I just one of the all time graces, is them talking about well that ought to make the coach happy as they cut to him freaking pacing like an animal. Yeah. He just like and he's run. You could tell he was like aggravated about something. <laughs> what a, that that <laughs> I, people in Oklahoma let me say something. People in Oklahoma State love him. Love, 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 love him. Well, I, I I mean I've been able to to meet him and talk to him in person for a couple times and I, I, I will say he's a completely different person when he's not in a game coaching football to when he's just out and hanging out with people. Cause he is a very funny and lighthearted guy, but then you put him in a football situation and he is as intense as they come. Right. Um, <laughs> so uh, we talked about justice Hill. We talked about Mason Rudolph. You've got this other kid on the, on the outside. Who's pretty good. James Washington, who confuses the ever living daylights out of me. Cause he wears a running back number and I don't understand why, but <laughs> He's on pace to go over a thousand yards receiving this season, isn't he? Yes, and and one of the things that you know this goes back to the to my post uh, that I don't know when they're going to put it up. Who knows? Uh, on Rudolph and his you know playing too careful. Uh, you just had a game where Oklahoma State went almost three quarters. They went it. They went the half. I think they went a complete half without even targeting him with a pass. Now, I'm sorry, but if he's that good, if he's in the running for the Bolitnikov, at least yeah. you know to get to maybe the finals, possibly. You know, if he's being named to midseason All American uh, teams. All right, midseason All Big Twelve or some nonsense, I, whatever. If that's the kind of player you have, all right, you throw him the football. 
I don't care if they're bracketing him. Right. There's got to be a way to run a route that gets him some room to get him a touch. Um, I mean, Jalen McCleskey, uh, I'll just say this. Uh, you guys better be paying attention to that little dude. Um, he has come on really strong, starting with the Texas game. Uh, he has come on really strong. Doesn't look like much. Little guy, uh, but he's quick. Uh, he's deceptively quick. And uh, he's very good in the open field. Uh, really good route runner. Um, but I, I think... If you guys can get just even a little pressure on Rudolph, because that's, that's really what happened uh, with Kansas last week. Um, he's not making quick reads. Uh, just He's not making bang-bang reads. So if you guys can get back there and get a little pressure on him within, let's say, let's say you got somebody back there within two seconds. Right. Giving him a little pressure. Maybe you don't get a hand on him, but you're giving him a little pressure. Uh, you could really, really disrupt uh, our offense um, because they, he's he's just not making quick decisions right now. If you give him time to throw it deep, he'll kill you. Yeah, he'll 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 cause he'll cause problems. He throws a beautiful ball deep, and both McCleskey and uh, Washington uh, have the ability. Really good hands have the ability to go up and get it. Um, but if if you can get somebody back in his face. Uh, within a couple of seconds of the snap, you really, really will blow up. Uh, you'll really blow up the scheme. Uh, it's just who knows what they're going to do. I'll say this. I love how you guys look. I love how you're the outlier in the conference. Um, I don't know how many people out there, if you, if you don't follow me on Twitter, I, I threw a tweet out, uh, I believe it was Sunday, after the games on Saturday, that West Virginia – is allowing 14 points a game in the Big 12. Yeah. No other team, I think no other team is allowing less than 29 or 27 or something. Um, I love that you guys are the outlier. You know, you're winning, you're, you're winning with conventional scores. Um, you mean that Oklahoma-Texas Tech game wasn't fun to watch? What the hell was that? <laughs> hey, we had a few of those games our first year in the conference. Oh, my God. Oh, you guys had one with Baylor, and you had one with OU yeah. one year where Tavon Austin ran had, all uh, over the field. We had the one against – I think the first year we had the Baylor game, 70-63. to 63. We beat Texas like 40-something yeah. to 40-something. And then we have the Tavon Austin night where he goes and we lose 50-49. to 49. So yeah. we've been well acquainted with the craziness of the Big 12 scoring, but um, they, I, I'll say this. I don't think – I actually like the way that Oklahoma State has actually kind of they've, – they've kept it, for the most part, contained as well. I mean, you're scoring points, but you're also – you're playing some defense on occasion, and, and you're able to keep people out of the end zone. That's kind of been what I seem like to me has been the key, is that they're not – teams aren't scoring as much as their yards per game would look like. Um, right now, that's that's the one thing that's a little bit it's a little frustrating with the defense, uh, but I think a lot of that has to do with the front four. Right. I mean, they have a rotation at defensive tackle. Uh, they're six deep. Yeah. That. They're they're and all six play. Um, you know, DeQuinton DeQuinton Osborne, who intercepted a pass and almost had a 
He almost had a Peisman pick six against Kansas. Um, he he was third on the depth chart at defensive tackle when the season started. Uh, so they've got they've got a really solid defensive line, especially in the interior, which has allowed them to get a little push. You know, opponents aren't running the ball really well against uh, them so far. Um, so uh, you know. It's just it's going to be how many big play. I guarantee. I'm telling you right now. I put money on it. You're you're going to have two forty plus yard scoring plays, at least. I, I kind of hope uh, you're right. We haven't had, uh, especially in the run game, we haven't had the explosive plays. We've had some decent runs, but we haven't had as many yeah. as uh, you would think. But um, yeah, the thing that bothers me is your quarterback. <laughs> uh, mobile quarterbacks, and he's, you know, he's not a QB, so. It's, it's one thing when you're playing a team that you know the quarterback is going to run. Right. It's another thing when you're playing a team where the dude's a passer, but he just might take off and run. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, we, and, we had to deal with that against Mahomes, and he, he I think Skyler's not quite as uh, – he's quicker than Mahomes, but Mahomes is a, a whole lot more elusive. But uh, I, I agree with you. It was, I mean, it was hard against Mahomes. It's, it, it, was, it wasn't comfortable watching, that's for sure. Yeah, well, you guys made that look pretty comfortable. So you'd be surprised. <laughs> There's still a lot of anxiety when we're even when we're winning, you know, and only held Texas Tech to 17 points. Well, that that I mean, at that point, you fit into the Big 12 perfectly. <laughs> because, you just never know. At least from at least from the Oklahoma State perspective, it is it's all about anxiety. Right. It is, you know, I've had I think. There was a point in the Kansas game, and we ended up winning that game by 24 points. There was a point in the third quarter where I actually tweeted out, "I'm standing on the the ledge, preparing to you know, the ledge of standing on the ledge of. I really hope they lose this game so somebody gets fired." Huh. Wow. <laughs> I was that like I was that aggravated, and then of course they had the the you know. Defensive lineman running the wishbone and the Heisman almost pick six, and then they get away and they win the game by twenty four. So it's uh, it's just it's anxiety and that comes with the territory. I think it's I think it'll be I think this is probably for me. Uh, this is the game of the Big Twelve season so far uh, because I think every everybody wants to see if West Virginia. I think if you guys come in. And handle business, and and win. And I don't mean come in and you don't. I'm not talking win by three touchdowns. You know, you come in, you have a solid game, you win by you know a touchdown or ten points, something like that. Look solid, take care of business. Um, then I would I would say at that point, not to jinx anything, hmm. that you guys would have to be the clear favorite um, going out because Baylor, uh, as far I mean, Oklahoma State should have beaten Baylor. Definitely played yeah. well enough to do it at their place. Yes, I agree. Um, OU is no juggernaut, although their running game is no joke. You know, good. is wicked. Uh, yes. for you, let's just put it this way: the last thing you want to have happen is have Joe Mixon come into you know your place and punch you in the face. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that scares me more than anything, okay. to be honest. But. <laughs> Um, but uh, I think I think this this is definitely the game of the season so far in the Big Twelve because it's going to go a long way. Uh, and and if it's a good game, hard fought game, if Oklahoma State comes out on top, 
Now I think you've got a situation where you legitimately got like four teams that could, you know, jerk around and win this thing. Um, And legitimately, and you can legitimately, again, have a two-loss champion. Yeah. Well, for the Big 12's sake, I hope we have an undefeated champion so that we can get into the college football playoff, or at least if we're on the outside looking in, have a legitimate argument against it but uh well and i would and i would say at this point with with what and 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 i don't i'm not talking about baylor okay they shouldn't be playing football so i I don't care i would agree. i mean i have a lot of feelings about baylor i tend to agree I, i don't think it's fair that they are still they have every other piece in place except for the one piece I don't want to say that matter because I think he was a great – I mean, he's obviously a great coach, but, like, the way that they've been able to still be successful proves to me that he was not they, – they still have every other piece in place, and he, he's just one that happens to be the biggest piece, but they're still able to fill well, it. Well, yeah, they've got their, their entire – like, virtually their entire coaching staff other than him. Yeah, and, and including the offensive coordinator slash his son. But right. Uh, I mean, I, I I still think that even I still think that there's three or four teams in the conference that have a shot. It just comes down to who can take care of business and and ha- who makes the fewest mistakes. And I think that was what I mean, that's how we beat TCU. They had three turnovers. We had none. And uh, you know, it, it's pretty simple when you have a conference that likes to score a lot. If you can force a team into a turnover or a, a, you know a short offensive possession. Yeah, you know. Um, well, that, so we've that was beautiful, by the way. <laughs> that was beautiful, by the way. TCU coming out, they fumble the kickoff. And oh, you're like, man. oh no, that's not good. <laughs> you know, we've. I'm glad we scored on that because had we not, I would have been very. I touched a field goal out of that would have been not as as fun. I'm glad we got the touchdown out of that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but all right, so we've we've talked about it a lot, but I mean, really, just. Where do you see this game going? What you don't have to necessarily give me a score prediction if you don't want to, but you know what? What do you think this is going to shake down as being? Uh, I think I think this will be a tight game. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma State's definitely good enough. Uh, West Virginia has, as it seems to me, has shown a propensity to be more of a you know good defensive team and and you know, grinded out offensive team a little bit. Uh, although they can hit big plays. Um, I see this game. I see this game somewhere in the in the high twenties, low thirties. Uh, both teams. I see a close game. I see it coming down to, you know, whoever has the ball last yeah. is going to have a chance to do something to, you know, win, tie the game, whatever. Um, I I have. I've never had good luck predicting Oklahoma State win. So uh, I'm going to go with uh, West Virginia 33, 33-28. Uh, wow. Um, but it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me at all for Oklahoma State to win the game. Uh, they're going to be fired up. Team's going to be yeah. fired up and ready to play. They're going to be juiced. Um, no question about it. And they've got talent. So if uh, if Mason Rudolph's having a good day and they're able to, I'd say it's a big thing here is if Oklahoma State's able to run the ball. With even you know medium success, then um, then it's you know it's gonna it could be a long it could be a tough day. Yeah. For West, a hard it'd be, it could be a very hard game for West Virginia. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of what scares me is is how good can Oklahoma State's running backs be or or you know what which ones are going to show up because 
I think that's where we have seen that we're weakest on defense. Is a, a true a true running game can really beat us. Um, we've seen that in the past. Well, like you're not. You know, there's no worries of running into a true running game in Stillwater. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, you know, to be fair, I mean TCU still likes to actually run the ball occasionally, and and they've got a good running yeah. back. And I think you know, I think Justice Hill is, is very similar to that Hicks kid at TCU, and that they're they're talented, and you give them some space, they're gonna, yeah, they're going to be able to make some something happen. Um, well. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on for us. The last thing I have to say to you before you leave, and I, I speak for the entire uh, horde of by Godders who listen, thank you for beating Pitt. Um, it, <laughs> it really means a lot to us that you were able to do that for us. Uh, I hope you understand that they are the worst team that has ever existed, the worst school that's ever existed. Um, and we just we, we thank you for beating them. Uh, anything we can do, you know, and if and if if that means uh, you seed us a couple of extra points on Saturday, <laughs> I'm I'm okay with that. We'll send you like a nice <laughs> card and flowers. I don't know if we'll do that much though. <laughs> as long as you guys don't get any untimed plays after the clock expires right, and right. you know whatever well, happens happens. <laughs> that that's a whole nother ball of wax. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you very much again. This is Robert Wetzel. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at at Robert W underscore AK State. He's a contributor and former site manager, CowboysRideForFree.com. Go check them out. They're our uh, brother, sister, what I don't know what you call it on SB Nation, but they're <laughs> the correlating SB Nation site to our smokingmusket.com. A lot of great insight into Oklahoma State football and Big 12 football as a whole. Uh, Robert, thank you very much for coming on with me this evening. And, um, you know, I, I hope that we have a fun game to watch on Saturday. No, thank you very much for, for having me on. It's always a pleasure. We can blame uh, uh, Dave for this. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and I'm, I keep crossing my fingers because I'm only about four hours from Morgantown um, that, that one of these years, hopefully, I always say hopefully next next season when, when we're on the road up here, that I'll make it down there to a game because uh, it, it, it looks like a good atmosphere. It, we, we're a fun time. We'll be glad to have you if you want to come down. There we go. Well, thank you very much. You uh, you have a wonderful evening. All right. Thanks again. Everybody travel safe. Whoever's who's ever going to Stillwater, uh, get there safe and enjoy. Thank you very much. Bye, Godders. Welcome back to Part 3 of the Smoky Musket Podcast. I want to thank Robert Wetzel, Cowboys Ride for Free, once again. And you can follow him on Twitter at Robert W underscore OK State. And because Robert's such a great historian of Oklahoma State and the Big 12 in general, we could have probably talked to him for another hour. Um, and because the interview ran long, we have to actually cut part three short this week. So to wrap things up, uh, West Virginia goes on the road to Stillwater, Oklahoma, to take on the 5-2 and two Oklahoma State Cowboys in Boone Pickens Stadium. Uh, the game will be televised on Fox with a kickoff coming at noon Eastern. Uh, the Mountaineers will look to keep their unblemished record intact and are currently favored by three and a half points. You can keep up with our coverage of this weekend's matchup with the Cowboys and everything else WVU by visiting smokingmusket.com. You can like us on Facebook at The Smoking Musket and follow us on Twitter at Smoking Musket. Um, subscribe to the Smoking Musket podcast on iTunes and leave a review. And subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can actually go back and listen to 
all the past episodes. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at Mike Miller SBN, and you can follow Bart at Bartimus Prime 19. So, for Bart Keeler and myself, thanks for listening this week, and as always, bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.